absolutely twisted, twisted ideas of what love is. I, have, I want you to know I have not watched any of the movies, I haven't read any of the books, but it's, it's written up on, in almost all the, all the magazines, so, and, and talking about like magazines like Time Magazine, and it's, it's about twisted love, or so-called love. And you need to know how it's possible that people could equate that with love. And it's because we don't understand what love is. We think it has something to do with my feelings. Did you get that? We think love has something to do with our feelings, how I feel, and whether or not she makes me feel like she loves me or I love her or whatever. But this, this notion of love is really one of the biggest hoaxes that has ever been uh, hoisted onto humanity or ever embraced by humanity. We believe somehow that love is primarily a feeling. And I think most of us have, are, are familiar with the fact that love actually is a verb. And we understand that when the Bible speaks of love, it speaks of, of action. And we discover that almost always love will, feel, will follow the action. But if you want to know what love is, it's little, very little to do with feeling. Yes, there is feeling and there is emotion, but that is secondary. Primary is what you do, how you live. So understand this then, that love is not a feeling. Uh, sorry, righteous brothers, and sorry, blue Swede. Uh, love, is, love is not a feeling. Love is an action. It's something that you do. This is the biblical teaching. Now, we're studying, as you know, in 1 John, and we said that, that few books in the Bible speak more eloquently about love than, than 1 John does. In fact, per chapter, there's no book in the Bible like it. And so we're learning from John what love is. And here's what John says about his letter. By the way, 1 John is a letter. 2 John's a letter. 3 John's a letter. Letter written by John to, to believers. And he says, and if you do as I say in this letter, then you too will be full of joy, and so will we. And I want you to, to know today that if, you're, if you are missing that sense of joy in your life, if that joy is missing, then what you need to do is you need to understand that it's probably because you are battling with or struggling with the idea of love. Remember what we said. Love is an action. It's not a feeling. The feelings follow. And so here we have it. Paul or John himself is saying the joy follows the love. So if you want your joy to be complete, if you want to, to experience that sense of, of, of contentment and satisfaction and, and happiness, then it's going to have to be through obeying Jesus Christ, who said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. Let me say it again. A new commandment I give you, there it is. And if you love each other, then the joy or the feelings will follow. I, I've counseled couples for years. I've counseled all kinds of people for years. Parents with ki kids that are, are maybe wayward or vice versa. Kids that are mad at their parents. And I, and I have to counsel like this every time. Look, at if you are relying on your feelings, your feelings are very unreliable. 
what you need to do is we need to say, what does God want us to do? What does God want me to do in order to bring healing to the relationship? And what you need to do is you need to take those first steps of love that have nothing to do with feeling. It's called obedience. Did you get that? Interestingly, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey. Did you get that? So you see that love is action. It's about obedience to God. It's about obedience to Christ. So here's, here's we're at chapter 3 now, and, and here's what John is telling us in 1 John 3, 18 to 19. Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. How many know it's easy to say, love ya? It's very easy to say that. Love you. John says, John is saying here, let's read between the lines. He's saying, hey, talk is cheap. Talk is so cheap. Don't tell me, show me. I love that song in My Fair Lady when Eliza is being told by a young man, Freddie, how much he loves her. And she says, I'm so sick of words. Don't tell me, show me. And John's basically saying the same thing, only he's not singing it. Don't talk about it. Show it. Do it. John says, our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before the Lord. Last Sunday morning, Marilyn Willick was missing. She's not in her seat, just over here to my left. And... Some people began to ask, where's Marilyn? And I believe Janet called uh, Daniel uh, and, or Gord and said, hey, Marilyn wasn't in church. You need to check on her. And then, and then uh, Boyette and Judy went over there, and, and Marilyn was called to stand before the Lord. She, she went home. She was gone. She was called to stand before the Lord. Now, in case you're, you're visiting here this morning, you don't know who Marilyn is. Marilyn, well, first of all, was a dear friend of mine for 40 years. She worked on the staff at Cross Church, and she really was part of this church for the past 22 years. She was with us when we, when we signed the deal to buy this building and renovate it. And so she's very much part of the life of our church. And here's what you need to know about Marilyn. She was never afraid of dying. You, you know that, right? And she, she talked about wanting to, to see the Lord and sooner than later, if possible. Um, in fact, she was looking forward to the rapture. And one of the first things, I, I got twisted thinking sometimes, but the first thing that came to my mind when we realized that, that Marilyn had gone to be with the Lord is I thought, oh no, she missed the rapture. <laughs> she was really looking forward to that, but uh, it was not to be. This verse suggests to us uh, as, as this verse suggests to us, Marilyn had complete confidence, complete confidence as she stood before the Lord. Why? Because of the way that she lived her life. Now, please understand something. I don't want anybody to go away from here thinking, all I have to do is do good works, and that's going to get me into heaven. What we have to do is we have to put our faith in Jesus Christ and his righteousness. He died on the cross for our sins because we could never be good enough. Say that with me. I can never be good enough. Uh, no, I'm glad. And Marilyn would be the first one to admit that. In fact, she did admit that in her conversion testimony. 
you can never be good enough. I can't be good enough. You can't be good enough. But here's the thing, folks. Jesus Christ is good enough, and we put our faith in him. And look, then the evidence that you put your faith in Jesus is that you are loving people. Not just talking about how you love people, but you are loving people by your actions, the things that you do. I can tell you this. I've known Marilyn for many years. I can tell you that she didn't always feel loving. Oh, you know her too. <laughs> she didn't always feel loving. Sometimes she felt maybe not so loving. I'm, I'm putting this delicately. But she always did the right thing. She always tried to do the right thing. And so for that reason, she can stand confidently before her God. Now, I tell you, folks, I, I picked out this this passage of scripture, this text for this morning's message uh, weeks ago, maybe, maybe even over a month ago, a month and a half ago, and no idea just how poignant this verse, these verses would be on this day. Her loving actions showed that she belonged to the truth. That's what John says here. Let us show the truth by your actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. What are we talking about when we say belonging to the truth? Well, simply that we belong to Christ. We belong to this faith, that we are Christians. That's what our love shows. So I want to just uh, put up this picture of Marilyn as I, as I just share with you a little bit about her actions. And remember with Marilyn... She, she'd be the first one to say, talk is cheap, show it. Last Sunday, uh, um, she passed away, and uh, just yesterday we had a funeral service at Calvary Temple. Calvary Temple was her home church, and she was involved in that church far more years than she was in our church here at Cross Church. There were some over 600 people in attendance, and remarkably, I don't know if you've been to Facebook yet, and seeing the tribute that's there and the responses and comments from people. But I think Terrence said there's some almost 11,000 people have, have viewed this. So she's well known and obviously touched a lot of people's lives. In fact, I'm guessing that, that uh, she touched the lives of, of, of literally thousands and thousands of girls that went through camp and crusaders. It's a girls program. She served in, not just at Calvary Temple, but she served here. She was on the building program, building committee program. And you know the story about us getting the Safeway. She was, she gave leadership to the WM, Women's Ministries, and had her, her women's retreats and involved in Sunday school, kids club, small groups, driving kids to to youth on Friday nights. Did you know she was at every bridal shower and every baby shower, even though she was never married and never had babies herself? She didn't want to miss, and I, I, suspe I suspect that she may have missed a, a few, but really she tried hard never to miss. She had what we would call a real love for people. It's, 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 it's not disputable, it's clear. She loved people. And we know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. Based on her actions. Now, what's the evidence that you are obeying Christ? It's what you do. 
You can't say I love Jesus without actually doing something that proves that you love people. Did you get that? Because a lot of people don't know that. They think, well, I love God. And isn't that the main thing? Well, what's the, what's the proof that you love God? There's only one way to prove that you love God. It's by loving people. Did you get that? And so that was Marilyn. She, you know, she put up bail for people that were in jail. She visited people in hospitals and prisons. She taught people to read. She corrected people's grammar on Facebook. <laughs> she corrected grammar, people's grammar when they were talking. Some would call that annoying. But uh, in, in her mind, she doesn't want you to look ridiculous. She took services and preached and gave communion at Calvary Place, the personal care home. She counseled, she rebuked, rebuked a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of times. I don't think there's anybody on the planet that was rebuked more than me. <laughs> she tracked down the lost and the lonely. She helped the homeless. Anybody that called her, she answered. If you told her you were in need, she would come running. If you, were, if you texted her, she would answer you back. If you emailed her, she would email you back. She was a reference for scores of people. My kids have asked Auntie Marilyn to be a reference for them I don't know how many times. And how many people here have had her as a reference? Yeah, it's about all of us at one point or another. She helped people get jobs. She prayed for people. She wept with those who mourned. She took in boarders. I don't know how many people she's taken in over the years, but I, I was one of them. I was sharing yesterday at her funeral that I stayed with her for four months between my second and third year Bible school, and she charged me $300 room and board, which I thought was reasonable at that time. But what a, what a surprise it was when it was time for me to go back to Bible college. And she wrote me a check for $1,400. She gave me all my money back and gave me a bit more to help me with, with my, my college expenses. Wouldn't you say that that was real love? And she actually, when I reminded her of it just not that many years ago, she, she forgot all about it. She didn't even know she did that. Obviously, she was not looking for a pat on the back. She was doing this as unto God. She, didn't, she wasn't ready to get in the book. I gave Alan $1,400. He better be nice to me or else. None of that. When it came time for me to go to Bible school my first year, she gave me a stereo. I call it a stereo. It was a turntable and a cassette player and an eight-track player and those days when you get everything in one for only 150 bucks, it was pretty amazing. Dennis Prawn and I both enjoyed that stereo system because we were roommates in Bible school. When her aunt Jean was ill and dying of cancer, even though Jean had a son, it was Marilyn who took her auntie in for six months until she passed away. And when her mom developed Alzheimer's, she took her mom in and all of us said, why don't you just put your mom in a, in a care home? It's just too much. But she believed that her job was to love and care for her mom. 
And she quoted that scripture that says that those who don't take care of their own family are worse than infidels. Wow. So she took her mom in until there was a spot open at Calvary Place. And then she visited her mom every day, sometimes twice a day. She drove people of all ages to church, Friday nights, Sundays, whenever she needed to, even kids club night. Because she knew as long as people were going to church, there was a chance. There was, an, there was a, good, a good, good chance that they would survive and thrive as followers of Christ. That's love in action. And I could go on and on. I, yesterday I had a five-page eulogy to, to her memory. There's no way I can go through that this morning or my time would be up. But you and I need to understand what real love is. Um, I showed this uh, just a few weeks ago. I, last week and I think the week before. And it was, it was C.S. Lewis who pointed out that in Greek there are four words for love. Eros, storgi, philia, and agape. And I actually heard uh, uh, Zacharias, what's his name, Zacharias? The Ravi Zacharias, the apologist, say that there are four words in the Bible that describe love. Well, actually there's not. Uh, so one time he made a mistake. There's actually only two. Eros and Storgi are not in the Bible, but the word philia, or uh, well, you've heard of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That's what it means. It means brotherly. And agape, which is what we would describe as a divine love. The thing is, folks, that the predominant word in the Bible that's used to describe love is that word Agape which is divine. And this is very significant, and you're going to see why in just a moment. First of all, let me just tell you this. The word eros refers to, to sexual love. Eros was actually, in Greek, was the god of love. And in, for the Italians, or in Latin, it was Cupid. I don't know if you knew that or not. And they always, they always paint Cupid as a cute little cherub, fat little naked cherub with a bow and arrow. You, you, you've seen that. And the problem with this is that it's, it's extremely pagan and evil. And most Christians don't even understand that. So when we talk about eros, eros love, it's, it's, it's a love that describes the erotic uh, uh, desire, longing. It's about what I can get. Now, obviously, obviously, there is that aspect to human sexuality. But when the Bible talks about the love between a man and a woman, it does not use that word eros. It uses the word agape, a divine love. The God of Christianity calls us to a new kind of love. It calls us to leave behind the pagan idea of love. What can I get? How can I be served? How can I have my needs met? Baby, I need you. You don't hear a love song that says, you need me. <laughs> I'm going to take care of you. I mean, you might hear a few odd songs like that, but pre the predominant message of our culture is, it's, I need you. I got to have you. Folks, understand this. Agape love, and actually it's, it's agape love that's, that's talked about in 1 John 3, 18 to 19, our text. Agape love 
is unselfish. It's sacrificial. It's generous. It's unconditional. It persists regardless of circumstances. That's what true Christian love is. And this, my friends, is the love that Jesus has called us to. And for that reason, the Bible, the biblical writers, saw no need for the use of storge, the love that describes a family, the love that's in a family. It immediately defaults to that divine love, that agape love, because we understand that in order for your family to survive, there's only one kind of love that you need, and that's the agape love, the love of God, unconditional. A love that is merciful, a love that is kind, sacrificial, unselfish. And so we go back to the verse. Let's not merely say we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. So we're called to love with the agape love of God. Unselfish, unconditional, generous, persistent, regardless of circumstances. Gloria and I have been married for, well, since 1989. Next, uh, next year, folks, we'll be celebrating our 30th. And uh, I'm going to tell you, that's how Gloria has loved me. She's loved me with an agape love. And I'm going to tell you, I, I, I often tell anybody that comes to me for counseling, especially young people are coming for premarital counseling, I say, my prayer for you is that you could have a marriage as good as mine, but I doubt it. You'll never get there. But why, why do we have that kind of love? Why do we have that kind of marriage? Because we understand that the love that God has called us to have between one another is based on agape love, not eros. In March 2014, some of you will remember this, actress Gwyneth Paltrow and Coldplay frontman Chris Martin, they decided, well, they announced their conscious uncoupling. Does anybody remember that? It's, they're announcing their, their conscious uncoupling. And so everybody is like, what is that? That sounds stupid. And it is stupid. What they were saying is that we're getting a divorce. But they called it an un, a, a, a conscious uncoupling. And, uh, and since then, there's other couples that have done it, notably Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner. What are they saying? They're saying, well, we've struggled here um, with, with maybe infidelity, and we've struggled with boredom, <laughs> inconvenience. Uh, we just can't be bothered working on it anymore. And sadly, sadly, believers, Christians, who are immature and don't know the word of God, they embrace this as something that sounds reasonable that it might be a good thing. This is why God says friendship with the world is enmity with God. Because the world doesn't understand what love is. And so you and I are called to love the way the Bible tells us to love. Because left to our own feelings and left to our own devices and our own wisdom, we get so in trouble. Understand that marriage is a celebration of agape love. Listen to these words really quickly. 
Will you have this woman to be your wedded wife, to live together after God's ordinance in the holy estate of matrimony? Will you love her, comfort her, honor and keep her in sickness and in health and forsaking all others, keep you only to her so long as you decide not to have a conscious uncoupling? It's utter nonsense, people. And so what you and I need to understand is that God has called us to an agape love. And it's based on that agape love, divine love, the love of God, that we make these vows to each other. You quickly realize that when you're making these vows to one another, it's about me wanting to please God. Did you get that? And that's why if you look in Gloria's wedding ring, you'll see there's a little triangle in there. And that triangle represents God, Gloria, and me. Because our desire, our longing is to please God and then to please each other. Does this make sense today? This is what agape love is. This is the love that God calls us to. I, Alan, take you glory to be my wife, my constant friend, my faithful partner, and my love from this day forward. I offer you my solemn vow to be your faithful partner in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad, and in joy as well as in sorrow. I promise to love you unconditionally, to support you, to honor and respect you, to cherish you for as long as we both shall live. Friends, that's what love is. You take those steps of love you serve one another. You, you wash his clothes. You cook her dinner. You take out the garbage. You wash the car. You, you do whatever you need to do to make your marriage, your relationship, not just good, but excellent. In our house, Glory and I try to outdo each other in loving one another. And our kids are here, and they, they'll, they'll attest to it. They've seen us in action for a lot of years. Do we have our selfish moments? Well, mostly Gloria does. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> mostly, you know, we, we do have our moments. But I'm going to tell you that the standard that we're aiming for is the agape love, which is I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to tell you that's the hardest thing that I have to do as a Christian. Did you know that? That's the hardest thing that we have to do because people sometimes let you down. Sometimes people just don't follow through on their commitment to you. Folks, marriage, the Christian life, the way that you treat your children has got to be marked by an agape love, a divine, sacrificial, generous, giving, unconditional kind of love. And you, don't, you can't just sit back and say, I declare my love for all. you got to do what Marilyn did. you got to get in your car and go do things. Go do stuff for Jesus. Go love people. Get involved. Serve in Sunday school. Help in the atrium. Help in the parking lot. Serve coffee. Serve the kids. Do something for Christ's sake. Because that's what real love is. And that's how Marilyn lived. 
And so I'm going to tell you right now, if you know Marilyn, just picture her coming before God. She arrived in heaven and just boldly, I'm here. It's not like, well, I'm here and I hope I'm welcome. <laughs> I'm here. Let's do the next thing. It's a real love that she had for God and it was demonstrated in her love for the people of this church, love for me, love for this community. This is what love is. It's a tireless commitment. The fact, of the problem, the fact is, is that for too many people, they run away as soon as they're tired, as soon as they're bored, as soon as they're, they're hurt. I was thinking the other day, what if God loved us the way we love people? I don't know about you, but that sends shudders down my spine. Imagine if God loved us the way we love people. The first time that you disappointed God, and he said, well, that is it. Can you imagine if God lost that loving feeling? <laughs> if he became bored... I mean, he is the God of the universe. No intellect on this planet could even begin, couldn't begin to comprehend his intellect. And somehow, some way, he puts up with me and is interested in my prayers and interested in, in walking with me and talking with me. Could you imagine? He said, oh, Al, not Alan again. <laughs> He's so repetitive in his prayers. He, can he come up with something new, something fresh, something different? Still praying for the same things? Oh, that Alan is way too much work. I'm going uh, to pay more attention to Gloria. She's not as much work as Alan is. Or could you imagine if God said, you know what, Alan has hurt my feelings far too many times, and that's it. I'm not having anything to do with them anymore. Or God got angry and said, you know what, Alan, you have sinned one too many times. And I'm going to tell you, I felt like that many times. <laughs> like, okay, this has got to be it. And that can be annoying. Just ask Sarah. Can you imagine if God got annoyed with us? And said, you know, Alan, oh, that Alan is so annoying. Oh. Or my favorite. I actually heard somebody say this to me. The reason that he didn't want to be hanging out with somebody, a certain person, I'm not going to mention names, is because that other person was not life-giving. What does that mean? Can you imagine if God said to, God spoke to the son and said, you know that Alan, he's not life-giving doesn't make me feel good. doesn't make me feel happy. I don't feel energized when I talk to Alan. I just thank God that God is not like us. But here's the thing. God wants you to be like him. God wants you to love like Marilyn loved. Oh, folks, look at, she had feet of clay. Everybody knows that about Marilyn. She was, she was not perfect. Jesus is. 
And she was trying, trying to get it right, trying to love the way Jesus loved. Now, what about you? Pastor Barber and I had a nice, well, we had a number of nice chats this week. Pastor Barber was our pastor for many years and continue to work with him uh, lately at the Calvary Place Personal Care Home. But he said, I owe Marilyn a huge debt of gratitude because Marilyn, of all people, all the people I knew was the most loyal to me. I could always depend on her. I always knew that she had my back. I always knew that she was with me. I'm going to tell you, as a pastor, I can completely relate to that. I understand that. Pastor Barber also has feet of clay. I don't know if you knew that. Pastor Barber, contrary to what some people believe, is not God. He's, 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 not, in, he's not a part of the Trinity. He's just a man with feet of clay. And guess what? I, too, am a man with feet of clay. And guess what? You, too, are people with feet of clay. If we weren't, we wouldn't need instruction from 1 John that tells us how to love each other. And so we're called to love each other with a divine and holy love, which has nothing to do with how you feel. Nothing to do with what you're thinking. You're called to love each other in the same manner that God loves us. And that, my friends, is the mark of a true believer. Without that love, without that love, I don't know how on earth you could ever stand before the Lord. But I know Marilyn, she went boldly before the throne of God and said, I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm just imagining she's organizing the angels and maybe rebuking a few of them, putting them in their place. Some of you today have, you've got memories of being rebuked, and Marilyn had that, which, what she called the wed lake stare, <laughs> which made your blood run cold. But under, under it all, her heart was a heart of love. The greatest tribute that we could give to Marilyn is that you and I follow her example and loving the people in our lives. Your husband, your wife. You say, oh, Pastor Alan, really? Isn't there, isn't there some kind of a, isn't there an escape clause or a, <laughs> is there a loop in there somewhere can get me out of this? No. No. And one of the things I've learned is that so often God brings people into your life for your sake, to change you, to rub off your rough edges. We sometimes call them grace growers. It makes you more like Jesus. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you so much first of all, for the life of our beloved Marilyn Wedlake. Thank you for so much of what she's taught us by example 
God, talk is cheap. Anybody can say, I love you. But to actually do it, that's quite another thing. God, you're calling us to love with an agape kind of love. And we're asking God for the grace by your spirit to help us love the people in our lives, our children, our grandchildren, our spouse, our neighbors, people we work with. Give us that agape love. Help us to understand that that's what Jesus requires of us. It's not a suggestion in Scripture, and it's not negotiable. It's not optional. We are called to love with an agape love. And when we do, then we know that we have a confidence that enables us to stand before God someday. And so we thank you, God, for teaching us, teaching us how to love, because on our own, we're so stupid when it comes to love. We just don't get it. But by your Spirit, Lord, we can love exactly the way you've called us to. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, I love you.